the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. As believers, we are reminded that the fact that God is one is not just the reality that there are no other gods, but also that one God, because of who he is, is enough. Join us now for Grace to the Bay as we glorify the Lord Jesus Christ through sound expository teaching by our teacher, Dr. Roger Chen. Grace to the Bay is the radio outreach of Grace Church of the Bay Area located in San Mateo. If you are blessed by Dr. Chen's message and are looking for a church home, you're invited to come worship with him. Now, here is Dr. Chen. The topic of Christian liberty involves what we call gray areas, practices of life that are neither commanded nor forbidden in Scripture. And so it's up to us to figure out if it's okay for us to do them. They're challenging because when we look not at the world, but even at the church, there are differing views. Some say they're okay. Some say they're bad. And notice, rarely in a gray area does anyone say it's good, just that it's okay. It's allowed. The teaching from Paul comes out of an inquiry from the Corinthians themselves, the early believers in the Corinthian church 2,000 years ago, regarding Christians eating meat that had been sacrificed to false gods, to idols. This meat, the extra which had been sold, would be sold in the marketplace, was top quality meat because the animals that had to be brought to the temple, the false gods, the pagan gods and goddesses, animals had to be perfect. They were even cut open and examined, and so this was good meat. The problem is that many of the Corinthian Christians had come out of these false religions And so any association with them, including just eating a certain kind of meat, and so this was troubling for the people who came out of those religions. But the thinking on those who said it was okay to eat the meat, who wanted to eat the meat, was that idols aren't real. We worship one true God. And since they aren't real, nor is anything associated with them really anything spiritual, we can eat the meat sacrificed to these idols. It's fine to eat it. Now, this reality, this knowledge that there is only one God was true also among the weaker Christians who would be caused to stumble if they saw their Christian brother or sister eating at the temple. They know that now. They're saved. They know that what they spent the previous years of their lives worshiping is not real, but it still caused them to stumble. There are still memories. There is a still des- a desire to be 100% disassociated with it. And so if when people start eating that meat, other Christians, and even going to the temple for the feast, in our modern situation for the carnival, for the festival, just for the kids, go ride some rides, hit up the food trucks, hit up the booths, buy some crafts. It's a problem. Why are you going there? Now, the argument for those who say it's okay to eat the meat, is based purely on theological facts or knowledge. That's it. You make it sound like that's not a good thing, that that's not enough. Well, the theological facts are that false gods are not real, thus eating this meat is fine. Why is it not enough? 
Paul addresses this by saying in verses 1 through 3 of 1 Corinthians 8, which we unpacked last Sunday, that knowledge is not enough because knowledge alone makes you arrogant. In other words, it feeds your ego. In other words, it's just about you, the individual with the knowledge, the individual exercising his Christian liberty because of that knowledge. In the Christian life, the fact that knowledge is not enough does not make complete sense unless you understand that Paul goes further to say that you need love. Love edifies. Love builds up. In other words, love is focused on others. Knowledge is on self. Love is focused on others. In other words, whether it's for the Corinthians eating meat sacrificed to idols or any other gray area like drinking, kissing before marriage, smoking, or whatever, just knowing the facts is not enough. Just knowing that it is not forbidden in Scripture or that it is allowed in Scripture is not enough. Knowing your own tolerance level for your alcohol, knowing your own tolerance level for temptation and purity, that's not enough. The facts are not enough. You must consider others. You need to understand your part in the life of the church, the body of Christ, the Christian community, and decide whether a gray area is right or wrong, not just by the facts, the facts need to be involved, but not just by the facts, but how it may affect other Christians. To be clear, knowledge is not inconsequential. That would be saying the Bible is inconsequential. We must know the truth. We must study the Bible. We must have it as our guide, but we must have it as our guide to worship, to love God, to love others. In fact, today's passage, Paul elaborates on the knowledge. He double downs on the importance of this knowledge, elaborates in detail what this knowledge is that we all have regarding God and regarding idols. It's a knowledge we must all use. And specifically, he continues to lay a foundation on this particular gray area by contrasting the false idols with the real God. Last week in our series, Limiting Liberty, we set a foundational comparison, comparing, comparing knowledge, which puffs up, and love, which edifies. And today we see Paul laying another foundation or furthering the foundation, a foundational contrast between the real God and false idols. And in our passage this morning, which is verses 4 through 6, he actually doesn't even address the issue of deciding on gray areas. He'll do that. He's still laying the foundation, and he will do that with much force from verse 7 on to the end of the chapter, making it very clear that in this gray area they are not to eat the meat. And we'll see that next week and perhaps over the next two weeks. But this week, he is in the context of deciding on gray areas, but he focuses on extolling the greatness of the one true God. Read with me or follow along as I read verses 4 through 6 of 1 Corinthians chapter 8. He says, Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things and we exist for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things and we exist through him. Very simply this morning, I want to give you two facts about God. That's our outline. Two facts about God that con contrast with pagan idols. 
The first that Paul brings up is that the true God is singular. Find this in the majority of the passage from verse 4 through the beginning of verse 6. So he brings it back to this issue of eating things sacrificed to idols after talking about knowledge versus love. And then he says, we know that. It indicates that Paul is affirming what the Corinthians have said about idols not being real. Because they wrote him. They said, hey, idols aren't real, so we should be able to eat this meat, right? And he says, we know that. Everyone knows that. The people I'm going to protect in the next few verses, they know that. They've repented. They understand that these idols are not real. There's no such thing as an idol in the world. Now understand that it can be confusing because an idol can refer to a false god or an idol can refer to a statue or temple or something that is representing that god. Obviously, he's not saying that the idols in the form of statues don't exist. The city of Corinth back then, as well as many uh, cities in the Roman Empire, especially in the marketplace of Corinth, we know that they were, it was lined with statues of various gods and goddesses. Now, these idols were very valuable to the people who worshipped them. They were re- representing their gods. So they were made out of precious metal usually, copper. Perhaps they were made out of special stones like marble, gold, silver, even ivory or wood. The eyes would be precious stones. Paul is not denying the existence of these things anymore that I could stand up here and deny the existence of a statue of Buddha or the Venus de Milo in the Louvre that represents Aphrodite. I've seen them both. They exist. They're there. What Paul is denying is the existence of any other gods, the gods that are represented by these statues, these idols, the false deities that the pagans worshipped, whether represented in that statue or believing it's that statue itself. You've met people like this. You, you know people uh, even in our society, in our culture, are like this. I need to bring this statue, even some Catholics, I need to bring this icon into my house and my house will be blessed. Things will be better. They believe in these types of things. They are important to them. Now, when he says idols are nothing, he is comparing, contrasting to the real God because it actually is something. And later in chapter 10, he will explain that the idols are something. They are demons. But the point is still true. They are not gods. Idols, Paul is saying, are non-entities. So the food sacrificed to them is just food. The temple you enter when you are on vacation in Southeast Asia or some of these big old churches around Europe, it's nothing. Nice to look at fun to visit, simply an incredible amount of money and artistic design dedicated to nothing. What's wrong with going to the Catholic Bazaar, the harvest fair that they have every year, and go buy some food? It's good stuff. Crafts. My neighbor's selling crafts there. Why can't I go there? We're not worshiping. It's not mass. It's just a fair. The worship to Zeus is over. Now it's a big party with food. My neighbors have invited me. I know it's going to be a good spread. Why can't I go? If the idols are non-entities, it's just food. I'm not worshiping. I'm not killing. I'm not praying to that God. It's not even in the temple. It's in the courtyard outside of it. I don't understand what's wrong. And this is the argument that the Corinthians who justify eating the sacrifice meat would use. It's not real. And what Paul is saying in verses 4 through 6 is like, yes, we know that. We all know that. That's beside the point. It's not real. 
But that's not enough. He doesn't stop there. He goes on to contrast these nothings with the one and only something, the true God. And the point he makes first is that contrary to this common belief that there are dozens, if not thousands, of gods and goddesses, there's only one, one, one true God. Not one supreme God like Zeus who is more powerful than all the other gods. There is literally only one God, not one great God among lesser gods. There is one God. Psalm 115, 4 through 7 in our scripture reading this morning, we saw the explanation of what these idols really are. And it's similar to the passage that we're reading in 1 Corinthians. He says their idols are silver and gold. Did they, are they the alpha, the omega? Did they exist eternally? No, they were a work of man's hands. Someone sat in his workshop and made this thing. Verse 5, they have mouths. You understand what they're saying? The statue has a, a mouth carved into it, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, little precious stones, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. Why? Because it's just a knickknack. Like our passage, this psalm is contrasting the idols with the one true God. And we understand this reality. But what he's setting forth is some of the toys, same thing, right? A doll or whatever, a stuffed animal. Some of these toys that my boys have, they have more value than these idols. Because at least they have a little recorder in them. You squeeze their hand and they can talk. They can walk around. This is just a chunk of marble. Value if you sell it but not the value that these worshipers put on it. You know, I read verses 4 through 7 of Psalm 115, and I, you know, we get what he's doing, right? He's, he's, He's comparing, contrasting to God. But I don't think anyone reads this. I think even unbelievers, they wouldn't read this and be like, oh, they can't speak. We get that. It's almost like, why, why say this? Why is this poetry? Because people are enmeshed in the worship of these things. Imagine walking into a temple, as some of you have, as I have, in another country, some in this country, a temple larger than this hotel. I'm not exaggerating. Dozens of Buddhist monks walking around. And you look at these people, they've dedicated their lives to this, more than just an average worshiper. You get this. Hundreds of worshipers, kids tugging on your hands to leave because the smell of incense so thick that you can hardly breathe. And when you get home, you can still smell it and you can't tell if it's stuck in your nostrils, if it's in your memory, or if it's in your clothes. Golden statues lining the walls of this giant temple. And I don't just mean the color gold. We know this psalm is true, but the deep-seated belief in the existence of these idols has literally controlled millions and dictated the policies of nations. This is a big deal. To assert that God is one is a no-brainer to us, but goes against the grain of culture after culture, including atheism and our modern society. This was true in the Old Testament times. This was true in the New Testament times. This is true today. We may not get it living in California, but it is true. It is very real. Those things you've seen on your travels, they don't exist as a tourist destination. They are literally beating themselves to get that statue to do what they want. Paul reiterates this truth in verse 5 through the beginning of verse 6. He says, there are so-called gods, meaning false gods, in heaven, naturally, as well as on earth. What does that mean? Well, the emperors of Rome and pharaohs of Egypt were considered gods and they lived on earth. The deities of the Greco-Roman world were extremely diverse and extremely numerous 
In addition to the famous ones that we studied in ancient history back in high school, there were many other deities in what were called the mystery cults. And it is true that some would, would just come up with the statue and go, new cult, new God. Some believe that this is what Paul is distinguishing between when he says gods and lords. Gods would have been the uh, traditional name for gods, you know, Zeus, Venus. But the lords were what the mystery cults called, called their idols. And another point that may help us here is that though there were some who dedicated their lives to service of a particular god or goddess, even serving at their temple full time, there was no need for them to stick to just one. Polytheism or the worship of multiple gods was not a problem for them. If anything, it helped them. It kind of reminds me of the saints of the Catholic Church today. There was a different deity to turn to for any number of circumstances in your life, much like many Catholics do to the various saints. And as believers, we are reminded that the fact that God is one is not just the reality that there are no other gods, but also that one God, because of who he is, is enough. We don't need a God of this and a God of that and a goddess of whatever. He does it all. He is sovereign, not just over our vegetation or our love life or, or our health. He is sovereign over all of it. You get the point here? There was a, there's a goddess of love and there's a goddess of bounty for those who were farming or selling at the marketplace. There's a God for every little thing. And you need, depending on your station in life and your job, you would pray to or offer to different gods. God, our God does it all. He's in control of all of it, not just some things, all of it. And we don't need to turn to someone else, as some do to the Virgin Mary, because God's too busy with everyone else's prayers. He hears it all. He is helping me preach and helping you listen, as he is doing with thousands of other pastors right now. He's not scrambling back and forth. He's doing it for all of us right now. Every prayer, millions at a time, he's answering them, hearing them, blessing them, watching over them. He does it all. He's all we need. Naturally, the Corinthians who are using their liberty to eat the sacrificed meat would argue that Paul is actually making their case here. Thank you, Paul. But what Paul is actually doing is affirming that the right knowledge is important but from there, we must understand that not everyone has the res same response to that knowledge. And that's what he's going to say uh, in our passage next week where he says not everyone has this knowledge. It's not that not all Christians believe that there's only one God and all the other gods are false. It's their knowledge of how to respond properly to that knowledge. It causes some to stumble and other people just don't care. But secondarily, what he's doing here is he's setting up the reality of the Christian's devotion to the one true God and then getting them to think, getting us to think about the ramifications of that. If God is that great, then you better be thinking seriously about who he is and how you respond to him. And if there's only one true God, which you Corinthian believers clearly know and worship, then he demands absolute allegiance. And true and full commitment to the one true God, to the Lord, means you go beyond just the facts and love, particularly in our context when it comes to gray areas. Additionally, as we will look at more thoroughly next week, if there truly is only one true God, then we do not want to in any way lead the weaker believer into thinking that any sort of connection to idol worship is okay, which for some weaker believers means just even going to a meal at a temple. And if all of that is not enough for you to sacrifice your personal spiritual liberties for others, 
then let's read on to see how tightly connected you are as a believer to that one true God. Our second fact about God that contrasts with pagan idols is that the true God is supreme. We've seen that He is singular, there is only one, but He is also supreme. Look at verse 6. Yet for us there is but one God, the Father from whom are all things, and we exist for Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ by whom are all things, and we exist through Him. If you are a grammarian, you'll really enjoy this verse because the power of a preposition is seen here, and each of those brings out a very important role of the Father and the Son in our relationship to that person of the Trinity. Let's start with all things. All things, we are told, are from the Father and by or through, in the ESV, Jesus Christ. Now, we know that all three members of the Trinity were involved in creation. Here we are told of the role of the Father and the Son. And as a side note, as we unpack this, this verse shows that the Apostle Paul has absolutely no problem with the reality of one God in three persons. It's not an issue for him. We know here two persons, but from other places, the Spirit as well, of course. For him, as it should be for us, there's absolutely no tension of one God in three persons. Back to all things. All things is just that, the created order, the created universe. God the Father, he says, is the ultimate source of all things. He is the creator. As such, nothing lies outside of his jurisdiction. By contrast, the many gods worshipped in that day were often subject to the whims and power of the cosmos or even other gods. The true God, Paul's God, our God, is separate from all things as their source. By the way, this includes you. I like the word origin. He is the origin of all things. This all pertains to the triune God, but in particular the role of the Father in creation. Whereas the Son... Jesus Christ is the one through whom God created. In other words, it was through Jesus Christ that all creation was created. Turn back to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The famous gospel that begins, In the beginning was the Word. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, And all things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. The following verses explain that the Word, of course, is a reference to Jesus Christ, perhaps most clearly in verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is none other than the second person of the Trinity, the Son, the Lord, Jesus Christ. So one God. One God did it all. Again, it wasn't one God made and another God has helped out and yet another God sustained and then this God has said, well, we need this and then they added more. It was all one God. It wasn't even a, 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 relay, a, a relay race, a tag team. I did the creation, now a next God sustains. Next God better get eternity ready. No, it's all one God, same God. But there's more. Paul goes on to say that we exist for the Father and we exist through the Son. What does that mean? Let's start with Jesus flip it around. We were not only created physically through the Son, as we just saw, but we are saved through Him. That's what that means. We exist through the Son. The way for created man to get to the Father is through and only through Jesus Christ. Back in John 1, he continues in verse 4, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Then in John 1, verses 12 and 13, 
As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Verse 13, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God through Jesus Christ. We understand that. You could say that in salvation we were recreated through Christ as believers, a new creation, a new creature. Jesus Christ, you've heard it said before, is the agent of salvation is another way of putting it. The contrast is clear to the mess and confusion of polytheism, lack of clarity as to who or what salvation entails, who's more powerful, who's going to win this battle among the gods, I'm going to go on his or her side because maybe then I'll get to heaven. Who do you appease? Who do you offer to? Who do you pick? It's a mess. You don't know. How do I get saved? How do I get to heaven? If even such a thing exists for that particular religion, for us it is clear. It's what we're all about as Christians. It's what the Bible all points to. Jesus Christ. It is through Jesus Christ to the end that we exist for the Father. That's the fourth point he makes, third chronologically, but our fourth point. We exist for the Father, and there it is. That's everything. That's everything. What are you talking about? You do not exist for you. You exist for Him. You don't even ultimately exist for your kids, your family, the church. You exist for the Father. Our existence is for His purposes. Not just your life and breath, not just your birth, not just your creation, but everything you do. You understand what we're talking about here? Whatever role you play in the church, in your family, in society, it is all for His satisfaction, not yours. It is for God's satisfaction, not your satisfaction. Although, the more you pursue true worship, the more the two become one and the same. You are satisfied with His This has been Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. For the next part in this series, join us next week at this same time. Grace to the Bay is the radio ministry of Grace Church of the Bay Area, practicing and proclaiming the purity of biblical truth. You are invited to join them for worship services in San Mateo, Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit gracebayarea.org for service times, directions, live streamed services, listen to archived sermons, or to make a tax-deductible donation to help keep Grace to the Bay on the air so that we can continue to share Pastor Roger's teaching with you each week. Again, that's gracebayarea.org. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.